You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of Acts this, this evening, and uh, we're, for, the, for a few weeks here, uh, you know, I, I finished the series in Nehemiah um, a couple of months ago, and then we've had some interruptions on Sunday nights, and then I just have some passages that I've been wanting to preach. Uh, and this one came kind of late, and so um, it was, but I do, I, it was something especially connected to what we, we got to experience this weekend. And I just want to encourage you um, in a few things about our responsibility as a church. And, uh, and so I'll be, I'll be doing just kind of some maybe random uh, preaching on Sunday nights for a couple more weeks, and then... Uh, Lord willing, here in a few weeks, we'll be starting a, a series in the book of James and uh, looking forward to that study and uh, the practicality of that book and looking forward to uh, doing some digging into that book and preaching that in, uh, here in just a few weeks. We'll get started on it. But Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. And uh, if you have found it, I hate to make you do a lot of, all this exercise tonight, but Acts chapter 6, I'm going to have you stand in honor of the reading of the scripture again. Acts chapter 6. And uh, this will help get the blood flowing, because I don't know how long we'll go tonight. So Acts chapter 6, and uh, yeah, I really know how to paint, paint the picture to help you anticipate the preaching, don't I, huh? <laughs> Acts chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 1 here. It says, in those days when the number of the disciples were, was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, uh, the twelve apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And this is the phrase that really I, I want to focus on, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And tonight, it's going to be a simple message, and I don't, I don't intend to, to be long in it. But I, I just want to point out how God can use every one of us in our place to do what we ought to do to further the word and increase the word of God. Amen. We all have a responsibility in it. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. It's all of us doing what we're supposed to do to see the word of God increase. And I hope tonight I'll give you just three characteristics of someone that can help the word of God increase. From the pulpit, from the pew, it doesn't matter. We all have a responsibility to be this certain kind of Christian if we want to see the word of God take effect. And so thank you for standing. You may be seated and we'll jump in here. A few weeks ago, as most of you know, we went to the Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee. We took our young people there uh, for summer camp. And 
Um, on the last day, and I, I wasn't, I didn't actually go to the rodeo. Our young people did, Brother Samuel, Miss Brielle, and with Jacob. They took the young people to what's called the Bill Rice Ranch Rodeo. Now, if you're getting nervous, it's not a real rodeo with broncos and, and bulls and things like that. They do have horses, but for the most part, um, it's competition-style games. And they've got the red team and the blue team. And they're going against each other to see who can win the, the competition. They split the camp right down the middle. And, and it's a lot of fun. But um, when uh, they got back from the rodeo, I started hearing about this epic tug-of-war battle. And the kids were telling me about it, but this, it was the tug-of-war battle, and it wasn't the guys, it was the girls. So they select maybe 15 or so, I don't know how many, 15 girls from each side, and those girls get up there, and they pulled on that rope for what seemed like a couple of hours, I think, to most of those pulling it. It was the longest tug-of-war uh, game that I think we, we, that any of our group had ever seen. Brother Samuel's been there many times. He said it was the most intense tug-of-war battle he'd ever seen. Well, Audrey was one of those. Our daughter, Audrey, our 17-year-old, was one of those that, that got picked to be part of the tug-of-war game. And um, when, she, when she, we got back from camp, I could see her walking pretty gingerly and moving pretty sorely for not just a day or two, but for a while. Um, and, 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 and she's not a complainer. She doesn't, she doesn't tell you. I mean, if her arm falls off, you'll find out a week later, you know, one of those things. You know, me, I'm crying the whole time, letting everyone know this isn't even real. I just want the attention. So <laughs> she is certainly not her, father, her father's daughter. But Audrey, I mean, my wife had to tell me how much pain she was in. I mean, from head to toe. That's how much effort was exerted into that tug-of-war game. And it went on and on and on. And I know it was no fun for, for her afterwards or for probably any of those girls. Now, did we win that tug-of-war battle? Okay, yes. She's right. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. They won. But you know what it does? It reminded me, and I know that's a silly illustration, but it really is, an, uh, it is a picture of the idea found in Philippians 1.27 when Paul wrote, Stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the, face of the for the faith of the gospel. Striving together. And the word striving there is actually where we get our word um, athletics. It's a competition. It's, it's in the way that you would strive in an athletic competition. That's how you should be working together as a local church. That's what he says. And we, you know, the striving together is a picture of what it means to be part of a local New Testament church like we are. I mean, that every member should work together so committedly that we bear the marks of our involvement. Uh, we should serve so passionately that we have battle scars and that we're tired and that we're worn out. It's okay to be worn out for the Lord. I mean, it's okay to exert effort for the Lord. And we've got men and, and, and in this room that exert effort to do certain things at work or, or, or to do certain things in, uh, maybe in their athletics or their exercise. We've got ladies that, that run and exercise and they exert their effort. And we ought to be, and that's okay, but we ought to be as passionate, really more passionate, to exert our energy and effort for the work of the gospel. I mean, that should be where most of our passion goes. There should be some battle scars. You should feel the effects. And I, I looked around the room this morning and I thought, I think there's a, there are a few that are tired from, from the effort that was put in yesterday. 
I mean, it, it wasn't, a, it was from nine till whenever you got to go home, maybe three or four o'clock. It was an all day thing. And I'm looking around the room and I, I see some sunburns. And I think those are battle scars from striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, there were some inconveniences for you. There were some sacrifices made. You had to give up some things because of your involvement. And I know how Saturdays are. I mean, for those of you that work Monday through Friday and you commit yourself to church on Sundays, I mean, Saturdays can be an important day for you. You only have one day to get some things done that you need to get done. It cost you something. There were financial costs from those that bought some items to get donated as prizes. And um, you're giving up not just one Saturday. You also were out last week when it, when it rained and poured on us where we were trying to pass out flyers. You know, that it's getting more and more rare to find people like that in no, local New Testament churches these days. And I, I've talked about it before, but modern church culture has produced this consumer mentality. Maybe you get tired of hearing about it, but I don't want to stop talking about it because it's so prevalent. But there's an expectation in most churches, well, what do I get out of this church service rather than what can I give to this church? Now, what's in it for me? What's in it for my kids? What are the programs that are available? And there are plenty more interested in how the church can help them or the programs that are available than how they can contribute to a church service or a church church body. But if you read about true discipleship in the New Testament, that's the opposite of a disciple's mindset. The the, disciple's mindset is, is actually summed up in the word no. Jesus said, if you can't deny yourself, if you can't forsake yourself, you cannot be my disciple. That's what he said. That doesn't sound like modern church culture, does it? But what we see in Acts 6 are adjustments being made to the way that things were being done in Jerusalem. They had grown to such an extent that some operational changes had to be made so that needs could be met. They had to start adjusting how they were doing things because they were growing at such a rapid pace. And we're going to get more to that in a moment, but just try to imagine what it was like to be part of this Jerusalem church. Uh, It was a time of activity. I mean, they were, the Bible says they were daily in the temple and in every house. And so, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to discount the sacrifices and the busyness, um, but this was a daily ministry. They were busy. They were in each other's houses. They were in each other's homes. It was a time full of activity. Daily and in every house, Jesus Christ was being preached. So it was a time of activity. It was also a time of fruitfulness. The number of disciples was multiplying. Not just, oh, notice, not just adding, they were multiplying. The membership had swelled into the thousands. And I really believe it's because um, they weren't just adding one at a time. Every member was going out, out and adding one at a time. And when that happens, you don't just have addition ministry, you have multiplication ministry. And we have right now, we've really started to try to plunge into a discipleship mentality and that we're taking new converts or new members through a discipleship program, a discipleship book. And, and we just had our, our first official one finish up and, and we're going to be recognizing that here in a couple of weeks. And I'm so thankful for it. But if each of us got a passion to add to the church ourselves that every one of us would go and find and and reach and disciple somebody we would not have an addition ministry we'd have a multiplication ministry we would be multiplying ourselves and that's really what was happening in Jerusalem and listen this is not, I want you to know this is not about numbers tonight this is about fruitful ministry This is about us getting to enjoy what God wants us to enjoy in that every soul that is one to Christ is a joy to Jesus Christ. 
It's something he, enjoy, he wants to see happen. It's not about ego and it's not about us uh, uh, bragging about ourselves. It is about doing what, what the, the work of the gospel that Jesus Christ himself was involved in. And so it was an active time. It was a fruitful time. But listen, it wasn't an easy time. It was actually a time of great persecution. The apostles, they were beaten for the preaching the gospel just one chapter before. The Jews and the religious leaders, they hated the church. They wanted to see them killed. They wanted to see the work stopped and the people scattered. So not only were they facing persecution and having to deal with that, but the membership was also growing so quickly at the same time. By the way, uh, I, I think we lose sight of the importance of, of a little pressure on us for growth. Meaning, I wonder if the, the, our country, our churches in the United States of America, the reason we may have grown so stale or so complacent is because it's been pretty easy for us here. It takes sometimes a little pressure for real growth to take place. We have a couple back here in the back, and I just met them this morning. They were missionaries in China for eight years. Eight years, I think you said, a number of years. And, and, and they were talking about that a little bit this morning. And I can imagine that, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't know this, but I would imagine that in China, if there's a, an independent fundamental Baptist church, a local New Testament church like ours, um, the pressure on them maybe creates a, a little bit of a stronger brand of disciple. Because they're, they're not in it because it's easy. They're in it because they really believe in it. And the pressure in the New Testament church here in Jerusalem was multiplying the church. It was, it was, they were adding people daily. It was, it was an incredible time, but they were under pressure. And not only that, now they have internal problems because they have these widows that, that were being neglected. I mean, and how could, I mean, how could 12, these apostles, how could 12 oversee what might have been at this time in the 10,000 range or more? The church of Jerusalem became huge. And they weren't able to keep up with the demands and, and now they've got persecution and all these things happening. And they knew we have limitations. We cannot do this on our own. So we need some help. They've been accused of neglecting the daily care of the, of the poor and needy elderly widows and of the church. And the, the church was communal in that uh, many had brought their money and belongings, laid it at the feet of the disciples. And it was like a large family. They were feeding and providing for one another and especially for the, olders, the, the older ones that couldn't do it for themselves. But it was so vast that they weren't able to really meet the needs of every person and they had overlooked some. And so the Grecians began murmuring and saying that, you know, their widows had been overlooked by the Hebrews and it was a matter of oversight because of how big the church had grown and the apostles knew listen they said we have to find somebody to help take care take care of this issue um, we have to smooth over this contention and it, this is another good lesson it's not the point tonight but something had to be done to maintain the unity of the church at such a pivotal time because outside persecution can could damage a church but inward conflict might destroy it and they knew we've got to take care of this problem. We've got to deal with this. So they brought the church together. And look what they did in verses 2, two through 4. It says verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they come together and they say, listen, we need somebody 
We need men to come and, and focus on these needs so that we can focus on what we need to be focusing on, which is prayer and the ministry of the word. And so they, they choose in verse five, it says, they, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. Um, and they chose Stephen and they chose a man of faith and all the Holy Ghost and Philip and these other men. And so uh, they knew that choosing men to care for the daily needs of the people would free them up for the much needed important work of prayer and attention to the word. So they search for seven men of honest report who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And in the end, along with five others, they choose Stephen, which, which we know him as the first martyr there in the book of Acts. And then we also know um, Philip, who went on to preach in, in Samaria and the, to the Ethiopian eunuch. So these men, these men were, were solid men, spiritual men. They were men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And once the apostles were free to focus on the ministry of the word... Look what happened in verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied exponentially. Even a, even a number, a great number, it says, of the priests were one to Christ. Those same priests, those religious leaders who resisted Jesus Christ and spoke against him, they could no longer resist the power of God's word and the testimony of common fishermen. Let that sink in. These priests had heard the preaching of Jesus Christ himself, but now we see common fishermen preaching the word and they can't resist it anymore. And the Bible says that they were one to Christ and so don't let anybody tell you that you've got to be something special or big to be used to make a difference in somebody's life. And these same people that resisted Jesus, um, they were won by fishermen. I mean, it's incredible to think about that. You know, increase means growth. Numbers grew. The disciples grew. The impact of the church grew. And when the word of God is free to be preached as it should, things change. People grow. Churches grow. The ministry of the word, which was namely preaching, it, it, listen, it should be the lifeblood of every New Testament church, including Eastside Baptist Church. Uh, wouldn't it be great to see this kind of work done in Sioux Falls? Wouldn't it be great to see this kind of growth again? I mean, not just in numbers, but I mean even just in lives. Uh, we don't know that we'll ever get to see anything like that first church again in our lifetimes... But you know what? We can ensure that we follow the pattern laid forth here in Acts 6 and then let God do the rest. See, and if God wants to accomplish in Sioux Falls what he did in Jerusalem, he won't be hindered because we're not doing what we ought to. You know, he, if he doesn't, it's his, it's, it's his choice and we'll just keep doing what we're supposed to. But listen, I want to put ourselves in a position to see something great happen. Really, what's happening in this text is that everyone is contributing to the increase. Everybody was contributing to the increase of God's word. Everyone was doing what they could to make sure that truth had an impact. And let me just remind you that the local church is called, you remember what it's called? It's called the pillar and ground of the truth. And the pillar and ground of the truth, it means that we support the truth. We are to be the banner, uh, we are to hold up the banner of truth. We, we support the truth like a pillar and, and, and foundation. And if we do nothing else, church, our responsibility is to God's word. But what Acts 6 is teaching us is that it's not just those 
that declare the truth from the pulpit or in our classes that have a responsibility to be a pillar and ground of the truth. Every one of us has a role in our church, this local church, doing what it ought with the truth. So, that, so what can you do to make sure that the word of God increases at Eastside Baptist Church and that we remain a pillar and ground of the truth? Well, the first thing that I, I see in this text, and I'm going to try to move through these, is number one, you ought to embrace your place. You ought to embrace your place. I mean, think about this. this um, the church needed somebody to take care of physical needs of people. And, and the, the task was, though, even though we might look at that as being a menial, menial task, we might look at that as being an unimportant thing. Um, they weren't picking people that weren't very qualified to do the job. They were picking men that were very qualified for any job to do this job. And because of the qualification of the men chosen, listen, we know this was viewed as important. And and because of the response of the men who accepted the task, listen, there was no ego involved in this. These men weren't looking at it and saying, well, I really feel like I should be doing something else. I feel like I should be doing something bigger. Have, have, you, have you seen my portfolio? Do you know my experience? Have you seen my, my job resume? I could really be doing a lot more than taking care of widows. No, they all, even though they were mighty men, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, they accepted their role and they, 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 they were able to embrace it. I mean, all these tasks, you think about in these first three verses, you've got serving tables, you've got the ministry of the word, the daily ministration. You see those, there's three words, daily ministration, serve tables, the ministry of the word. They all come from the same Greek root word, which is from where we get deacon, the diakonos, which means an attendant. It means a waiter. And by the way, that, that, that's, you know, the deacon is to be a servant, a waiter. He is simply supposed to serve. We have deacons here at Eastside Baptist Church. And, and I know in some churches that, uh, that, you know, the deacons run the church. But if you look at Acts chapter 6, deacons are to serve the church. And this is, what, this is the biblical pattern. The point is this, that whether, whether a, pa- a person is passing out food and funds to widows or standing before the congregation right here delivering the word, it is all considered ministry. Daily ministration, serving tables, ministry of the word. It's the same word. One service is not better than the, than the other. It's just different. And we, we need to get our, in our minds that, that, that anything you can do for God is serving. And it's, it's not like one task is less than another task. They're all important in the work of God. And God places members in the body as, to fulfill different functions. We're not going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, but now God hath set members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And we've got uh, every individual has a role to play. Every person, I mean, listen, there's no such thing as more or less important. Um, really, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it's not about the job that you have. It's about you doing that job with excellence. So if you have the responsibility of vacuuming the carpets, it's not about the job you have. It's about doing it the very best you can. And for me, it's not about preaching the word from the pulpit. It's about preaching the word the very best I can. I really approach the ministry of my my ministry like you should approach yours. We just want to do it with excellence. That's what we're doing. And you say, well, you know, we're not a business. Why do we need to do it with excellence? Because of who we're doing it for. That deserves our excellence, doesn't it? So are you using your gifts? Listen, are you using your gifts with excellence? 
Are you using your gifts to meet the needs of other people? Do you have a role? You know, God has uniquely gifted you to contribute to Eastside Baptist Church. I believe that. He has placed every member in the body as he sees fit. He has a role for you to play. And if one day the hand decides that he no longer wants to do his job, that limits the body. Trust me, I know right now. You know, I mean, it's, I have to have my wife help me with things that I've been doing since I was a little kid. It's, like, it's humiliating. Yeah, Aaron, can you please come help just button the top button on my pants? Just, just, I know that's, it, it's like those are the little things you can't do. And, and it's kind of awkward, but on the other hand, it really is an indication of what happens in a church when someone decides, you know, and I don't really want to do that job anymore. The things that should be easy, the things we've been doing for a long time, the things that should just happen, they can't happen. The simple things start to fall away. And what contribution has God designed you to make? And are you contributing? Embrace your place. Have you taken the time to seek how the Lord would have you contribute? Have you prayed? Have you prayed? Because God has, he's a sovereign God. And we believe that. We don't shy away from that just because it's been hijacked in some ways. No, we believe God is sovereign. He has you here at Eastside Baptist Church for a reason. He specifically gifted you to do certain things. But when's the last time you sought him and said, okay, God, I want to be involved. How, how should I contribute? Maybe the norm is the majority of, in most churches, the majority of the contributions come from the minority of members. And you've heard this, the Pareto principle before, that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And that's true in business. And they say it's just about true in churches too. 80% of the work, 80% of the load is carried by 20% of the people. Listen, I'd love it if we had a church where that was totally untrue at Eastside Baptist Church. Where 100% of the load is shared by 100% of the people. And everybody has a role and they have got a place they're contributing. Listen, it doesn't have to be that way here that only a few do the work. No, let's all do our part. Let's embrace our place. And I'm asking you tonight, would you consider what your place in the body is? And then once he, he, he reveals it to you, would you embrace it? And, and have the right spirit about it? I mean, because it really doesn't help our church at all if you say, okay, well, I know I'm supposed to clean toilet number two in that bathroom. And I'll do it because I have a place and I've got a role I have to embrace because pastor said, no, that's not what we're looking for either. It's like somebody needs to clean toilet number two. But on the other hand, you should think, you know what? I'm thankful I have any role to play and I'll do it with excellence. Because God, if that's what God wants for me, I'll do it the very best that I can. So would you embrace it with a good spirit? Would you consider what God wants? Or would you embrace it with a good spirit? I think it's sad that, that many of God's people give their best to work. And they give their best to hunting. And they give their best to making sure their boat's ready for the weekend. And they give their best to all these other things. And then God seems to get the leftovers. I mean, that's, that really is a sad, sad condition to be in. Let's not be that way. And you might say, well, my role at church doesn't seem very important. Well, if you read what Stephen and Philip and the rest were doing, they might have said the same thing, but they embraced it. I believe because they embraced it, God allowed those two men specifically to make an eternal difference for him. So, number one, embrace your place. Number two, elevate your, your view of God's word. And you, I, I'm really alliterating today. This is, I'm pretty impressed with myself. So, <laughs> embrace your place, elevate your view of God's word. You know, the apostles, they didn't have a superior attitude. 
Uh, it's not like the, the apostles when they said, we need to find somebody that will take this responsibility so we can, we don't want to serve, leave, uh, leave uh, the God's word to serve tables. They weren't looking at it like they have a superior attitude. They simply understood that the office they held and their responsibility that they had, it accompanied full-time attention. And in order for a pastor to successfully carry out the office of the ministry of the word, he must have time to study and pray and meditate. And this could get awkward anytime you, you talk about your role, like I'm going to do here for just a couple of minutes. But, I mean, anytime a pastor preaches about his role, he desires to be careful about how it's presented. But biblically speaking, a pastor's time should primarily be dedicated to the ministry of the word. And you say, well, I think a pastor should do this more and a pastor should be available here more and a pastor should do this more. And that's fine. I know we all have an idea of what a pastor should do during the week. I get it. But all I can do is based on what the Bible says in Acts chapter 6 is that my focus has to be on the ministry of the word. And if I let, because every church member probably has a different idea of what a pastor's week should look like. And if I allowed every church member to define what my week looks like, I'm, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to keep up. So I have to go to God's word and I have to say, okay, here's what God's word said is pa- a pastor's week and a pastor's time should be spent doing. And really it should be the ministry of the word and prayer. And, and so I'm asking you then, is, does that mean a pastor is more important than anybody else? Absolutely not. But his task, the ministry of the word, is of utmost importance. And there's only one, um, one person charged with bringing the word on a weekly basis at Eastside Baptist Church. And I know we have other men that come in and preach, and especially this summer it's been a huge help. But only one person has the responsibility that I do. So if you will allow God to define how my week is spent, it sure would help, um, help us in our unity just say, okay, I want the word to define how our pastor spends his time. And listen, my, the, I know our church isn't a mega church, but it's large enough that this pastor can't personally supervise every compartment of ministry without help. I can't do it. And thankfully, though, I don't feel like I have to. Because we have well-equipped people in place and enough people with enough gifts and skills that our ministries they are able, for the most part, to function without the pastor having to dictate what happens every step along the way. And I want to say thank you to those that take ownership of your ministry like that. I mean, there are times where I may have to step in and maybe I want something done a different way. And, and that's, a, that's another sermon, but, but it, you know, you, only one person answers for, for what happens at Eastside Baptist Church. And, you, and if I come in and I might change a few things here and there, and I've tried to really limit how much I change the first couple of years, you may not think that, but, but in my mind I've tried to slow it down because I, don't want, I didn't want anybody to think that I came in here thinking I've got all the answers and the way that I do it is all better. Pastor Spencer, you can't argue with what happened at Eastside for the past 35, 40 years. You know, but, but at some point as the pastor, then I, if I'm going to answer for how things are done at Eastside, there may be some changes that come. And we just, you just simply have to say, well, he's the one that answers for it. And in the end, I, I just have to trust that God's sovereignty has him here and has me here to submit to that. And I'll be happy to do it. Even if I don't agree, that's okay. Um, just understand that some, there may come a time where that has to happen in your ministry. 
And, and I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to kick, kick somebody out or, or, or you know, change everything around. I just know that I, and I will stand before Jesus Christ and I'll answer for how I uh, pastored this church. And if you'd give me room to do it, I promise you I will be considerate in the decisions that are made. And I'll do my very best to consider you in those decisions as well. And we can just work together and move forward together. You know, this is not about a pastor creating an attitude of superiority. This is about my passion to follow the biblical pattern and my desire to be as effective as possible in my appointed work. So in order to understand this, we need to try to comprehend the central importance of the word of God. You know, the word of God is God's revelation of himself. It provides everything we know about him. And the word of God is alive and it gives life and it pierces the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. And this book is alive and the words move us and change us. And the word of God proclaims the central message of hope to all mankind, which is the message of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is important stuff. And we should never as a church diminish the importance of God's word as the center of our ministry. The New Testament church has been handed the stewardship of preaching the message of Jesus Christ to the world. We're talking about eternal weighty matters. And a pastor has the responsibility on a weekly basis of conveying this truth and carrying out that calling. I read this quote, one of my favorite quotes, quotes from college that Matthew Simpson in his lectures on preaching wrote, His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene. And heaven and hell await the issue. What associations and what vast responsibility. And I try to tell myself that before I preach. And you might wonder, you know, why I close my door and I focus before I come. You know, I understand everyone does it differently but that's the weight of preaching in my mind. When I stand before you, I don't want to come before you flippantly. I don't want to come before you unprepared. I come because I, I feel the weight of it. And I want to make sure that I give it everything that I'm supposed to give it. And if you'll help me in that, help protect that time that I have in my study. And listen, how, how can you help a pastor make the best of his time? Well, take the preaching of God's word seriously. Honestly, if you did nothing else at Eastside except every time the word is open, you're serious about it. And that's, that would be an answer to the pastor's prayer. Amen. Be faithful. You, know, you can't hear the, help the word of God increase if you don't come. Be faithful. Be, be, be engaged. It does no good to attend and then tune out as soon as the preaching begins. And I think that probably happens a lot. Be responsive. And if you're faithful and you're engaged, be responsive. I don't have to have audible amens to be happy. I don't. But it sure doesn't hurt a pastor to be encouraged by the men of the church while he's preaching. It means something to me. It helps me. I don't, I don't have to have great altar response to continue doing what I'm doing. But if you want to encourage your pastor along the way, um, it sure doesn't hurt if you publicly respond. And I don't even just mean at your pew. I would ask you to consider coming forward. And that does two things. And, and I'm not trying to create a manufacturer response tonight. I'm trying to change a mindset or affect a mindset. But I think coming forward is important because it's accountability, number one. It's easy to pray at your pew. But if you move forward, it's like saying, this is how serious I am about this decision. 
Second, it's encouraging to others. And I believe one, one of the reasons we don't have more folks move is because maybe we don't consistently have an environment of movement. And, and I wonder how many times, and this is just in my mind, I wonder how many times we've had a lost soul in our service that felt compelled to respond and step out from their pew, but they would have felt alone in doing so, so they stayed where they were. And I'm not trying to guilt you into response. I hope you understand. I'm trying to help our mindsets here. Listen, as a disciple, I would challenge you to view the invitation not just about yourself. I would challenge you to view the invitation as an opportunity to encourage someone else to move. And I preached a message in 1 Corinthians 14 about uh, about, uh, being convincing in our services. And I think one of the reasons or one of the ways that we could be convincing in our services is when the invitation is given and we are not not hesitant to move. We want to make, make decisions and do business with God. And I just wonder if we were to do that more regularly, if we have people that come in and they're looking, trying to figure out what this is all about and they see us moving and they think, okay, something's happening here. You could be more convincing if you would be willing to make, when you make a decision, to move on it. Question, why have you not responded to truth? Either there's been nothing in any message that you think is applied to you, or our mindset about spiritual decision-making might need a poke. We might need to be stirred up a little bit about how we view spiritual decision-making. These are just ways that I'm, I'm trying to help you, help me. Another way that you can, help, you can help the preaching is to use the preaching as counseling. You know, this is an interesting point. Many problems and questions, I believe, can be dealt with during preaching. And as much as I encourage you to visit with me about things, and I'm open to that, make an appointment, come talk to me, drop in, I think we would be surprised how many of the things that we deal with could have been helped if we just simply tuned in and applied truth that was taught and preached to our personal lives. And I know pastors that, I know pastors that won't counsel people if they don't consistently attend church. Now that's not my policy, but it does put the responsibility on the individual to make sure they're doing everything they can with the counsel they're already receiving from the pulpit before they schedule time with the pastor. And again, I don't ever want you to feel guilty about scheduling time because I, I, that's part of my role. But I do think if we would personalize the preaching, it could cut down on counseling. I know preachers also that anytime someone says they've got an issue, they come want to come deal with it. He just gives them a tape or, or a tape, a CD of the sermon he preached at some point that dealt with that subject. Not a bad way to counsel. No, how to, so how to make the word of God increase? I'm going to move on from that one, okay? Embrace your place and elevate your view of the word of God. But number three, enjoy a spirit-filled life. You want to help the word of God increase, be spirit-filled. I mean, these men, they, the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Stephen and the deacons, they met spiritual qualifications. Listen, I, I don't know what church you've been a part of before. Maybe you've seen it run differently. But it's possible for, for deacons to be spirit-filled. You know, being a deacon requires one to be spirit-filled. And, uh, I mean, any work in the local church, though, you think, well, you know, okay, well, just the deacons have to be spirit-filled. No, every person. Every person serving in any role should be spiritual. 
And that's why even here, you know, there's some that we, we don't make wait as long, but even here, you come, you're a member, you, you join, and you have to wait a while before you, you can serve in leadership roles. Because you should have a chance, you should have to prove yourself before you just jump into leadership. And don't think because you don't have a position of spiritual leadership that you don't have spiritual qualifications. We all have spiritual qualifications. I mean, being in the choir has spiritual qualifications. Um, I, I mean, you don't have to sing, but you have to be spiritual. So, no, just kidding. Um, working with a children's ministry has spiritual qualifications. And it should. You know, being a trustee, and we've got, you know, we've got a number of trustees, and our trustees primarily take care of our property, and I think they do a pretty good job. I'm thankful for them. Uh, but trustees, don't forget, you, have, you are a voted-on member, or voted-on uh, officer, at Eastside Baptist Church, that means that people looked at you and said, okay, I think they're spiritual enough to serve in an important role. And, and we ought to have trustees that are consistent to, to church, that are consistent to prayer, that are spiritual, that have a spirit of approachability. And listen, you have a, we have responsibility to be spiritual as a trustee, as a children's ministry worker, as a nursery worker, as a greeter, as a sound man, as a choir member. Every one of us have spiritual qualifications. And there are qualifications for every area of service. In other words, listen, we're not just looking for those that can. We're looking for those that are. We're not just looking for those that can do something. We're looking for those that are something. And when I say are something, I mean they are spiritual. Filled with the Spirit. What you are is way more important than what you can do. Every person, fill, every position filled... Um, by, it should be filled by somebody that's filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled Christians also will get to see great results. I mean, you think about what Stephen got to do. You say, well, he died. Well, yeah, but I mean, his name will forever be, uh, be attached to somebody willing to give it all for Jesus. I mean, I mean, you wonder, I mean, he made a difference in the life of Apostle, the Apostle Paul, I believe. Paul was at that point standing there as Saul and he saw Stephen be martyred. And I just wonder if very soon after that on the road to Damascus, when Jesus Christ appeared to him there on the road and said, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I wonder if Saul thought about Stephen. He said, I saw that man do what I never thought somebody could do in the face of death. And I just wonder the difference he made in the apostle Paul's life. And then you think about Philip. Philip went preached in Samaria and Philip preached that Ethiopian eunuch. These men, they were spirit-filled and they were serving widows. But God, because they were willing to embrace their place and they had an elevated view of the word of God and and because they had a spirit-filled life, God used them not just to do the menial task that everyone saw them doing, but do some great things later for God. The most important thing that you can do for Eastside Baptist Church is be spirit-filled. If you want to do great things for God, it's not about a position or experience or knowledge or talent. It's about being spirit-filled. And it's about you deciding, I'm going to walk every day, not in my flesh, but in the spirit. I'm going to deal with people at church, not in my flesh, but in the spirit. When, I'm, when something goes wrong or something I don't like or somebody says something that offends me, I'm going to be filled with the spirit and I'm not going to respond in the flesh. Every day I'm going to wake up, I'm going to read God's word, I'm going to confess my sin, and I'm going to walk in the spirit so that the spirit can be seen through me, and I'm not living in my flesh. Listen, that's the most important thing you can do as a member of Eastside Baptist Church. 
And as you yield yourself to the Spirit of God, He produces fruit in you you couldn't possibly manufacture on your own. So I'm asking you tonight, what role do you have in seeing the Word of God increase in Sioux Falls? Are you doing your part? Have you embraced your place, your role? Do you have a role? Or are you allowing other people to do 80% of the work and you're sitting and just enjoying the benefits? No, what role do you play and are you doing your part in the ministry? Do you ele- have you elevated the, your view or do you, have, do you have an elevated view of the word of God? Are you faithful? I mean, every service. We have some that have positions of leadership that aren't as faithful to Wednesday nights as they probably ought to be. Are you faithful? Are you engaged? I mean, when the preaching begins, do you find anything else you can think of to think about? Are you responsive? When's the last time you responded? And I don't know if that says as much about the preaching. I, I'm not pretending like the preaching is always dynamic and everything it should be. But, but listen, it doesn't take much of a truth to, tell, to convict me and say, oh, I need to make a change. And I, I think we all ought to be that way. You ought to be sensitive. If there's any truth at all, why haven't you responded? Why haven't you moved? So are you a spirit-filled Christian? That's a qualification for service. And the biggest difference will be made as you yield yourself to the Spirit. And the difference you make will be directly impacted by how spirit-filled you choose to be. If Eastside is going to see the word of God increased in Sioux Falls, we need people to do their part, prioritize the word, and be spirit-filled. Do your part, prioritize the word, and be spirit-filled. And I just wonder if all of us chose to do those things... Aren't you curious to see what God might do in our community through our church? I can tell you, I'm very curious. I'm so curious, in fact, I'm so curious to see that maybe God would do something really special in our church, in our community, through our church. I'm so curious that I would be willing to embrace my place, prioritize God's word, and every day do the very best I can to be spirit-filled. If you're curious to see what God might do in Sioux Falls, would you be willing to embrace your place, your role, prioritize God's word, and be a spirit-filled Christian? I would think that probably most people in this room right now would say, I'm curious and I'm willing. And if we would all be so curious and willing to actually make these things happen, who knows what God might do in the coming years through Eastside Baptist Church. In the city of Sioux Falls. Increase means growth. Question. Is the impact of God's word. Is it growing or shrinking. Because of you. Are you helping it increase. Or is your role. Causing it to decrease. I don't know where you're at tonight. And how this applies. But I think all of us probably. Have something to respond to. And I'm excited about what happened yesterday, but I just view that, those kinds of things as the beginning. And I think God wants to do something special. We have a, a, I mean, it's a a field that's white unto harvest. And our city has 200,000. I think right now, that's probably, it was 195 at the beginning of the year, and you know how it's growing. We had 5,000 people just move into these apartments over here just recently, so so it seems like. 200,000 people. 
We're the only independent Baptist church on, on, on our side of town. There's just a couple in this whole area. I'm telling you, God wants to do something here. And I'm curious to see if he might let us experience a little Jerusalem. But I know it's going to take more than one person saying, I'll embrace my role and prioritize God's word. And, and I will, I'd be willing to be spirit-filled. If this whole room of people would be willing to take on those characteristics, maybe God would do something real special. I'd love to be a part of it, wouldn't you? Amen. Let's submit to it tonight. Let's stand. Every, every eye bowed, or every knee, um, sorry, head bowed and eye closed. I'm so excited I can't talk, so head bowed, eye closed. We're going to have an opportunity to respond tonight. If you'd be willing to respond to the, the preaching and even practice what was preached tonight, be faithful, be engaged, be responsive. And maybe if we'd all be willing to be these things, maybe God would do something that we've never been able to see him do before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you help us to be responsive to it. And I pray in, in spite of us that you do something through Eastside and Sioux Falls that we will look back someday and think, man, we got to be part of something really special. We submit ourselves to you. We surrender to you. And whatever it is that you ask us to respond to, God, tonight we do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.